0: Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Let me have a word of prayer and then we'll begin this morning. Lord, it is, uh, it is with your watch care that we really do everything. We're not always mindful of that. But at the same time, we know that you're in charge, you're the one who knows all these things, and in spite of what we may or may not see coming in the future, in some ways it doesn't make any difference, because you're going to be there, and you're going to provide for that. And so we thank you for that assurance that you give to us, we pray your blessings not only on this church, but the body of Christ as it's gathered literally around the world right now, so many people struggling with this, and. Issues of COVID and issues of finances and trying to make decisions about school, whether we're going to have in school, online school, what's going to happen, and the insecurity of jobs. There's just so many things that stirs up our society. The truth is, Lord, we need you, and we need to know that our confidence is in you. So we're grateful that we have that privilege today. Be with us over these next few moments. We want your will to be done in our hearts and lives, and we pray that would be the case today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 12 is where I'm going. Uh, Pastor Jason, I talked to him. He said you guys have been in Jonah, I think, is where you've been. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, but I'm going to let him finish that up for you. Uh, So if you turn to Acts chapter 12, I'm just going to read five verses so you can remain seated if you want this morning. Probably something that uh, you've read before and not strange to you, but I hope after this morning that maybe you'll look at this a little different way. Acts chapter 12, beginning verse 1. Here's the word of the Lord. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. You know, the times in which we live do a very good job of reminding us of the horrors of war and conflict. I think of organizations like Wounded Warriors and and several others that are out there. And if you watch any TV, you begin to see, here's a picture of this healthy man or woman, and they're interacting with people around them. And then all of a sudden, they show you what the effects of war have been. And it's, uh, sometimes it's gut-wrenching to see what happened. If you've never been there, if you've never had a loved one like that, uh, maybe you, like me, say, thank you, Lord, that that's not the case. But you don't have to just watch TV. You can just listen to the news. And you guys, hopefully, are far enough away from St. Louis. <laughs> you don't get all this stuff, but it's a war zone there. It's terrible. I mean, almost every day that you listen to it. Oh, three more were killed over here, and two more were wounded, and it just goes on and on. And unfortunately, many of these individuals are innocent people, young children standing out on the street or on their front porch or something, and wild gunfire. And, and uh, it's just it's a strange situation. So we see the reality of that over and over again. It's not war, but sometimes it feels that way. And I know that there are places that. Uh, I would just choose not to go anymore, you know, just to stay away from that stuff. You just don't know. Well, death, whether it's through war or through conflict or whatever it might be, is always an unwelcome intrusion into our lives. Even though we know up here that death will come one day, we don't want to invite it in. Sometimes you've got a loved one that's uh, dealing with difficult physical issues, maybe they're in pain, maybe they're in suffering. There's a part of you that even though you you hate to welcome death, at the same time you can at least feel a little relief because you know they're not suffering like that anymore. But no matter whether that is or it's that loss that you feel in your heart and life and it's a vacancy that can really never be replaced, And then God does something that really kind of confuses me sometimes, because in this process of death, occasionally it seems like God will allow a loved one to be taken, even after we've prayed and we've petitioned and we've begged God, and it doesn't turn out the way that we want. And I don't understand that. I'm sure one day we'll get a a, a meaning for all this stuff, but I know that I know. Here was a seven-year-old boy in a family of all girls, his dad's pride and joy, that died from leukemia, seven years old. Sharon's cousin, young, productive father, minister of the gospel, had a beautiful family. Positive, productive ministry in the church, killed by a freak motorcycle accident. Doing 11 mile an hour. Had a big gold wing. He was riding. Had the helmet on. Had all that stuff on. And one of my best friends in the field of evangelism. Guy had given his life to the Lord over these years. They lived in a bus, raised his family in a bus. They traveled all around the country, doing wherever whatever God asked him to do and wherever they wanted to go, never had a minimum salary, he would come and say, God will take care of us. He died of lung cancer. And I'm thinking, this guy never smoked a cigarette in his life. He never worked around any of that stuff. God, why? If you've not had that happen, then you're fortunate. But, now, I'm not trying to stir up questions we can't answer today. That really is not why I'm doing this. But I... In the verses that I read to you, I want to try to bring some realness into these few verses. And there's four individuals that are pointed out in these verses. There's King Herod, there's James, there's John, who is James's younger brother, and then there's Peter. Uh, You know, I'm full of true confession this day. I guess I don't know. I. These are real people. We read about them all the time, but these are these are real people with real families and real circumstances they find themselves in. Sometimes on TV, they'll have a, a movie or they'll have something about a, a biblical character, and I look at that and I think, well, that's not what I thought Peter looked like. <laughs> Paul, no Paul, he's this little scrawny guy that can't sit still and caught in trouble everywhere he went, you know. And they well, you know, but these are real people, just like you, just like me. They've got family. They've got issues that they have to deal with. And honestly, sometimes when I read the Word and read over accounts like we did just a few minutes ago, I just read the Word and say, "Oh yeah, James, John, Herod, Peter." But I want to make that a little bit personal this morning, if I may. Did you know that most of the original disciples, the ones that were first called, were teenagers? I didn't know that. Tried doing some background work on it and come to find out that most all of the early disciples were teenagers. Now, I found this in my study. John Wallace, he's a professor of biblical history at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Here's what he wrote. He said, like typical rabbinical disciples of that time, the apostles were teenagers although maybe slightly older than the norm, except for John, who generally seems to be the youngest. One typically became a rabbinical student, a rabbi's disciple, if you would, about the age of 13. And also one older disciple to serve as kind of the head boy or the prefect, which in this case was Peter. He was the only one, Peter was the only one of these early disciples who was required to pay a temple tax. And those were only required by male Jews who have reached the age of 20. And if we, and you can go back and look, Jesus and Peter were the only ones that paid the temple tax. So they were the only ones that were over 20 years of age. Now, we know later on, as he began to gather disciples, we know that was different, but the early disciples were teenagers. And here was John, probably 13, 14 years old, and his big brother, James, he was under 20, we know that, who were drawn to this one called Jesus Christ. And so they they heard him, and they began to follow him, and... uh I think in some ways, John probably did because James did. Here's why I say that. I have two older brothers. Sharon and I are the babies. Our grandkids were here from California, and the youngest one, the older ones are griping. Oh, she gets all the benefits. They do everything for her. They didn't do that for us. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're the babies in our family. You're getting no sympathy from us. We like, <laughs> but I get, you know, I think of my older brothers and I think there are times that I, I, and I still do. I look up to them. They're my older brothers, you know. Sometimes I even tried to mimic some of the things they did or I looked at their lives and watched how they did things and I thought, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a good thing to do. They were my older brothers. So I have a tendency to think that initially John got, caught up in all of this because his big brother James started following Jesus and he wanted to be with James and so they, they started following them around, became his disciples. Now after Jesus ascended into heaven, the early believers found themselves very much alone and they also found that persecution was increasing. We see a little bit of that here in, in the verses that we read. So here was Herod who found out that, hey, I, this is kind of a popular thing now. I can get rid of all these people that profess Jesus Christ as Messiah. And it's it becoming a popular thing. So he took James and he killed him with sword. And when that went over okay, he thought, well, that went well, so I'm going to keep this up. He got the leader of the pack at the time, which was Peter, and he threw him in jail. And he had plans for him after the feast. So I'm trying to think what it would be like to be a 13 or 14 year old kid. Having sided up with your big brother, getting excited because of Jesus and what he says, and then all of a sudden begin to see your world come apart around you. And not only the world come apart around you, but the one who you depended on, the one who you were close to, was taken by Herod and was killed with the sword i mean i I can't remember what it's like to be fifteen. It's been too many years ago but i I do know what it's like to have older brothers. I know what it is and and how to relate to them and and how I feel about them, our oldest. My oldest brother is gone. Sam's grandpa is gone. My my middle brother is still alive. And, uh, matter of fact, he was here a couple weeks ago, spent a week with us. Uh, His new bride was with him. It's kind of interesting. (laughs) He's 79, she's 81. 62 years ago, they dated at Olivet Nazarene College. And, uh, I guess, had a thing at that point, and circumstances caused them to separate. They each went different directions. And lo and behold, 62 years later, her spouse died, and her brother's spouse died, and they reconnected on Facebook. And lo and behold, here they are. He's still my big brother, you know. So I I don't remember what it is to be 15, but I can relate to that. And I'm I'm trying to think. Here's a 13 or 14-year-old boy, who his world was just taken apart from him. Beginning to wonder about his brother James. How how did he die? I mean, did they do anything to him before they killed him? Did he languish very long once they ran the sword in? Or, did what you know, what all did they do to him? It's my big brother and he's gone. Well, Scripture doesn't say specifically, but I have to assume that when that happened, Young John went where he knew to go, and that was back with the other disciples, those other teenagers, and they couldn't go back to Peter because Peter was thrown in jail. And I suspect, Scripture supports it, but I suspect that they prayed earnestly for James. I can see John and the other ones gathered together Wherever they were, gathered together to pray, saying, Oh, Lord, be with James today. Lord, we know, we know you can do this. We've seen you do miraculous things. We've walked with you. We've seen you do these things. Please, please, Lord, be with James. Help him. Get him out of Herod's grasp. And guess what? Herod killed him with the sword. What? What? And then they, he takes Peter, the leader of the pack. And now I see him going back to their knees again and praying again, this time for Peter, saying, Lord, do something miraculous in his life and, and Lord, do something here that, that we can't see how you're going to do it. But, but I wonder how strong their faith was then. I wonder, wonder how confident they were in praying for Peter after all they prayed for James and Herod killed him now we're supposed to pray for Peter is God going to let the same thing happen have you prayed for somebody a loved one and God didn't do what you thought you wanted him to do You had somebody close and you, you did all the stuff. You read all the scriptures. The, you know, the elders all got together and they prayed and they anointed with oil and they did all that kind of stuff. And we did everything God asked us to do and he still didn't do what we asked him to do. Maybe that's never happened to you. But there have been times, uh, another true confession. There have been times when I've, I've gathered up the, the bottle of oil and, and, People have come and gathered around the altar and we've anointed them and I've and I prayed for them and I've asked for God to bring a healing touch and I'd say, Lord, just move over them from the top of the head to the bottom of their feet. Just bring your spirit in and bring healing to them and, and he didn't do it. So the next time I did that, I think I was influenced by what happened before. I mean, I tried to be positive. I'm being honest with you here, Okay. I I tried to be positive, and and I've gone through the same thing. We've had them come. I've laid my hands on them. We've anointed them with oil and say, "Lord, move over them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. May your Spirit come and bring healing." And He did. I got a guy in his eighties had stage four colon cancer. God miraculously healed him. They wanted to do one more MRI before they put him under the knife, and they went in there and they said, "We can't find anything." Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm excited about that, but what about the one that he didn't? So here's these group of young boys, it's all I know how to describe them, gathered in wherever they did, the upper room, wherever it is, and in the back of their mind, you are thinking, we went through this one other time. And uh, it didn't work. Is it going to work this time or not? Kind of like jumping out of an airplane. If you have a parachute on, you assume (laughs) that when you pull the cord, the parachute's going to open up. And if you pull the cord and it doesn't, I guarantee you, you probably never jump out of an airplane again. (laughs) But that's not the best illustration. Let's make it more practical. Okay, you're driving down the interstate. You're tooling along Highway 70 down here, doing the speed limit, of course, not speeding. And all of a sudden, you see some red brake lights up here, and maybe some flashing chain lights. You think, uh oh, something's going on. So you, you reach down to put the brake on. Only the problem is the brake pedal goes to the floor. You have no brakes. So you think, well, I got a little bit of time, so maybe you can downshift, or maybe you can put in lower gear. And you finally work your way over to the shoulder of the road and reach over and grab your emergency brake or step on it, and you, you get stopped. You say, oh, thank you, Lord, for doing that. So you get it fixed, get your brakes fixed, take it in the shop, they say everything's okay. You're tooling down the road again, doing the speed limit, of course. (laughs) And the same thing happens. How confident would you be that your brakes are always going to work for you? Not anymore, right? They failed you once. They just might do it again. I know they're fixed. I know the shop said everything's okay. I understand that. But I thought they were okay before, and look what happened. Now, if you can relate to that, think about these young boys praying for Peter. You see, when they prayed for James, the brakes failed. And now they're praying for Peter. Now, why do I think they had doubts? You know the story. We're not going to go into it. But you know the story. God miraculously got Peter out. Four squads of four soldiers, and he let him out. I think it was in the middle of the night, and all this stuff brought him back out. So Peter goes over where all these guys are are gathered, and he's going, Hey, it's me, it's Peter! And they're going, What? Who? Who'd you say that was? Come on, it's Peter! Open the door! And we look at each other. That can't be Peter. And somebody says, Well, isn't that what we were praying for? And, I mean, seriously. I mean... I'm sure they prayed for Peter just like they did for James, but I don't know how much they really believed that God would do something. And when he did, they were surprised. I think it was Rhoda was the girl's name. I don't remember if she comes and she peeks out and says, she runs back and she says, it's Peter. And they said, what? It's Peter. Yeah, it's Peter. Open the door let him in. Wow, God worked this time. You know, I don't want to make fun of this because, These are circumstances that you and I deal with as we think about God and his relationship to those that we love. This is real. James and John were real people. They were real brothers. John lost his big brother, James. And they prayed and they prayed and he still lost his big brother, James. Now, shift with me again to John, how he might be thinking. They open the door and Peter walks through the door and John's standing there looking at him. And I have no basis for this, just my mind playing games. But I, I have a tendency to think that John might stand there and say, how come him and not my brother? My brother's dead and, and he's walking through the door here. How did that happen? Again, just my imagination. But I, I think for a young kid like that who loved his big brother, there might be just a little bit of bitterness. in saying, how come God healed him and not him? Or how come you're standing over the casket of your loved one who was killed by a drunk driver and you look down and say, how come my loved one's here and a drunk driver's still running all around the country? How did that happen? That's not right. Do you ever ask why God heals one and not the other? Why God does something special for one person and not another? Well, John chapter 21, and of course John is the author of this now. He's the author of the gospel. But he writes this in verse 21. We're walking along the road, and Peter was wanting to know when the end time was going to come and what was going to happen to him and all that stuff. And John says that he was walking right behind them. Here's what the scripture says. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them, This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? That's John. And Peter saw him and he asked, Lord, well, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive till I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So Jesus politely but firmly told Peter, It was not his concern what happened to anybody else. His role was to follow him. And I wonder, as I read that, did young John, did he hear that conversation that went on up there? Did that mean anything to him when his brother was gone and Peter was alive? Well, that's... I don't know whether he heard it or not. We don't have any indication of that. But I know that John did not give up the faith. I know that. Matter of fact, history tells us that John was the oldest living disciple of all of them. He lived to be 94 years old, which is extraordinary in that day and age. He wrote over five books that are now in our Bible. And even in his later years, he got exiled to the Isle of Patmos, he didn't quit there. He kept on writing and doing things. And his writing is so good that if anybody asked me, I want to learn to read the Bible, I want to get started on it, where should I begin? I always tell them, go to the Gospel of John. That's where you need to start. That will help you. So what about us? How do we deal with this? I tell Sharon all the time, when I get to heaven, I want to ask God, why did you take my friend Leon from lung cancer? Why did you do that? Why did you take her cousin when he's he's such a productive asset to the kingdom of God? Why did you take him when he was in his 30s and leave a wife and kids? Why did you do that? And she says, wisely, you know, I think when we get there, none of this will matter. And that's kind of what Jesus was telling Peter. He said, you don't need to worry about him. Your job is just to follow me. That's that's your job. You do that. And okay. And so... That's what I'm recommending to you, to say that I have my act together that way. I I I can't do that, totally. But I really do believe, as sure as I'm standing here, that God has something better for us. And as long as we remain faithful to him, when we get there and we get that, all these things that seem so significant to us really will not matter. when Sharon and I pastored Fredericktown, Missouri, I had a retired pastor in a congregation. Ralph Lachance was his name. And he retired in Fredericktown. He lived in Fredericktown, continued to go to the church. His wife, Alice, I think her name was, ended up getting Alzheimer's. And I remember him coming in my office one day, and he said, Dan, I, don't, I just don't understand this. He said, We've been good servants all these years. We've been faithful pastors. We've been doing everything God asked us to do. Why did he allow this to happen to my wife? I probably didn't give him a really good answer because I think at the time, if I remember right, I told him, well, Brother Lashant, it, just, it rains on the just and the unjust. I, I don't know what else to tell you. But I think if he would ask me again, I would turn in my Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the faith chapter. You know what I'm talking about. And I might read these words to him. Here's what it says. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These these are real people I'm talking about now. This is not just a story. These are real people. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. We want it now though, don't we? We want it fixed now. Lord, come in, kiss it, make it go away. Help me out. Why did you do this? Why James? Why not Peter? Why this loved one? Why not that one? How come this guy that's 84, you let him live in in one of our staff people in the church in Wright City? She's in her 50s, early 50s. A worker in the church, faithful in the church, died of cancer. Why? Why? You know, I can't answer that. But what I can tell you is what Jesus tells us. We, we just need to be faithful to him. One day these things will all make sense. And God has something better for us. So I, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know. You may, you may be a little bitter over something God has done or not done. I, I don't know. And it's hard not to feel that way sometimes. But I want to encourage you today to be diligent in what God asks you to do. And when we're there, it will be worth it. When we're there, it will be worth it. It doesn't take away, I I think until the day that John died, he probably had an empty spot in his heart for his big brother. I, I, I don't think you can get rid of those things. But you've got to get over them. You've got to put it in perspective what God wants you to do. Uh, There's an old song and we're not going to sing it and I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) Uh, What a day that will be. Some of you know what that's all about. The chorus goes like this. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. I look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day. Glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness. No pain. No parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. Oh, what a day. What a glorious day that will be. That's what we need to think about. And I don't care if you're 15 or you're 75. That's what we need to think about. Because we're on our way there. And some of the things that happen, we don't understand. We can't make sense out of them. But God said... He's got something better for us. That's what we hold on to. Okay, Father, help us today. You know the feelings I have, and I suspect there may be others out here that still have some things that they have to deal with. You know that we love you. You know that we want to be faithful to you. And sometimes these things are just like a little stone or a pebble we get in our shoe. They just keep gnawing away at us. I pray today, Lord, that you'll help us to take our shoe off and shake that crazy thing out of the way, and help us to continue on on the journey that you've called us to go. We are grateful that you love us, and here we are in the midst of a world that is totally uncertain. And we may look at you and say, "Lord, why is this happening? Why? Why don't I have a job? Why? Why is this place open and my place isn't? Why this? Why that?" And And we may not find the answers that we want to hear. But we want to be reminded today, as Jesus told Peter, don't worry about those things. You just follow me. And we want to be faithful in doing that. So we pray for the good folks of the church here and and their ministry in this community, their ministry amongst each other. We pray that you would help them and encourage them, keep their minds focused on you and what you have for them to do. We pray for Pastor Jason today and his family. We know that he would certainly rather be here than me. We understand that. But we pray that you would touch him, strengthen him and encourage him, preparing for the time when he comes back to lead in these very difficult, uncertain times, Lord. We really don't know what next week is going to bring. But we know if you're there and you're in charge, you can direct us and make that happen. So thank you again for the privilege we have today to share with these good people. May your love overflow between them and out to a world that needs to know that Jesus loves them as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.